Josh Alvarez. And I'm Liam O'Donnell. <laughs> and you're listening to episode 136 of Cinepunks. Cinepunks! Ba-boom! Ba-boom! We're doing it. Doing yeah. the thing. Doing the thing. I'm we did it, it man. We're, we're, we are accomplished folks who are accomplishing things. I'm thinking things. 100% moving forward that we're going to just get on a regular sketch and it's going to be dope. And you're going to get a lot more content, listener. I mean, look, me I mean, look, I mean, look, Josh. Yeah, no, hit me, hit, I, here's, I get we've been promising a regular schedule for seven years and eight years <laughs> for, since, for nine since, and a half years since 2014. We've been like, we're about to get on a regular schedule and it's never happened. And so I don't yeah, but want here's the to thing, promise. Though, I have a regular schedule that doesn't rotate every two weeks now. No, since I, I don't work you. in a hospital. I hear you. I hear you. I just don't want to promise it. I just want it to happen. And if it happens, <sighs> cool. And if it doesn't happen, also fine. Because at this point, look, at this point, we just have the hardcore left. You know, there when we first started this thing, there were bandwagon people. There were people who jumped on. They wanted some of our shine. You know, they liked yeah. they liked that we were the new play thing in the podcast arena. And now <laughs> and now we just have the hardcore people. We've got our Chris Rejects. We've got our Paul Sharkies. We've got our Sophias. We've got our uh, Grace yeah, Grace I Kim, it. I assume. And uh here's my favorite thing. I don't know if, if you know that this happens, but OB what? listens to all of our shows. I did not know that. Hi, OB. Love you. Hi, OB. And he tweets, he texts me as he listens to them in real time. Oh, yeah? (laughs) Does he ever text you? Does he ever text you, Liam is full of shit? Because I've. Yes! um, Almost almost exclusively. Liam's completely wrong about De Niro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great. It's so good. I love it so much. I'm like, yeah, OB, go ahead. Let 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 the truth fly, buddy. I need to hear it. I need to hear it. How about it. this, OB? How about this, OB? Get my number from Josh. Text me some 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 trash talk. <laughs> he will. I'll let you know what's up. He 100 percent will. I'll send you a picture yeah, of my no, he's foot. He's the best. <laughs> um, no, I love it. It's my favorite thing. Like he texts me as he's listening to the episode. And so we navigate together as he goes through the highs and the lows of the shows. <laughs> So good. I, Obi, I, you're the best, and I love you. That's why I, I wrote a song I, about you. I kind of want that because I kind of want to know, like, someone's, like, real-life response to it as it's happening. And no one – like, I've definitely some, – some people who listen do text me, but only, like, after they're done. It's just a couple thoughts here and there. But I've definitely – done this sort of punishment to other people not regularly but (laughs) but occasionally i'll just start texting bob shed about axe to grind or like i've messaged on instagram like tom from axe to grind about it or like when i was listening to uh when evil eye was more regular i would text Mm. rob and sam at the same time like oh blah 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 blah." (laughs) or uh the the most notoriously our our friends over at wine and cheese which is on hiatus Sort of indefinitely. We'll see if they come back. They're they're actually working on a new concept. But I used to text uh, just Mike, Mike and Joey. I, I don't I don't know the other dude. Uh, but I would mm-hmm. text them like as I was listening consistently, and it was such a you know because they did a you know you, you know what I'm saying here, Josh. They did an episode talking about saves the day, and being young kids, mm-hmm. they don't remember that like a saves the day pit used to be 
like a mad ball pit. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they like they just sort of mentioned like I guess at some point like hardcore kids like this band. That's weird. And I'm like, bro, you don't even know, man. Like yeah, you would, like, dude, they were ex mouthpiece at one point until that guy died. Like you, that was the thing. You, you would legit go to a saves a day show and be like, I gotta stand in the back because I don't want to get swung on. You know what I mean? It's like true. people don't remember. Oh, yeah. And I'm not saying that I guess that, that comes across like I think that's cool. I'm not saying that's cool. It's just a reality. No. And people should it's know that that was, was how it was for a while. Yeah, man. Like lifetime shows back in the day used to be like that. And like I guess they kind of still are because only people over forty five like lifetime anymore. And those are the people yeah. that still kinda mosh that kind of music. But to, to be fair, uh, those those dudes now though, they just kinda do a little two step and then just start swinging. You know what I mean? Like it's a little <laughs> less acrobatic than it used to be. They're like a yeah, little less limber, a little less yeah. hair, a little more yeah. tattoos. I get man, it. Man, we it. are on I'm, we are already on killing a the tangent. Tear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hey, yeah, what are we doing on this episode, on. Josh? What's what's, what's uh, the, we what's have to thing? thank our sponsors at, at uh Patreon. Do the topic do the topic first. Do the topic first. Oh, uh, oh. Well, so it's funny. The topic for this episode originally was Liam and I were gonna er, we're gonna edit ourselves. We we're gonna be like, yo, why don't we just talk about one movie? Yeah. And we were gonna talk about uh Questlove's documentary, The Summer of Soul, which we oh, Quest Love touched John. on. Quest Love John. We, we had briefly touched on it on the last episode because Liam had seen it and um, he was really psyched. And and then I watched it and then like, we're just like, yo, that movie is so fucking good. This movie is so fucking good. Spoiler alert. Um, but then yesterday you were like, yo, have you seen the Sparks documentary yet? And I said, no. So then last night I was not working at the casino and my wife has her clay class, which I call clay clay. And, um, so I was just kind of home alone for a couple hours, and I was like, you know what? Let's watch that Sparks documentary. And so now this episode is going to be about two music documentaries. Quest Love's The Summer of Soul, or When the Te- Revolution Was Not Televised, and The Sparks Brothers by Edgar Wright. Documentary about the Sparks Brothers. That's Sparks. I want to be clear i think we'll talk a little bit more about summer of soul that's no disrespect to all of our sparks fans out there but uh i just was thinking about that movie longer you know and i saw it twice whatever but i just think it's it is not without merit that two of the better music documentaries i've ever fucking seen have come out the same summer i don't think that's should be uncommented on so we're gonna cover both and i think we should just name i mean josh is more familiar than me because josh likes all kinds of uh nerd music but um i i didn't know anything about sparks before watching the documentary so i definitely want to comment about the documentary i don't want to get too deep into this you know sparks as a group themselves just because i don't know that much about it other than what was in the documentary which is just really amazing so we'll get to all that but josh before that you are gonna remind me of who's responsible for this episode who who is who is primarily responsible for this episode and every episode of this podcast and on this network funny you should ask liam the people responsible people's responsible are the generous people who contribute to our patreon (laughs) <laughs> and <laughs> Patreon, you motherfucker. Uh, yeah, our Patreon and uh, um, the people at Essex Coffee Roasters and at LVAC. Um, that was just the, a brief blanket term. All right, for let's let's do Patreon. Yeah, let's, let's Patreon do the first. There, there are like thirty some people who support us on Patreon. It's not a lot of people, but these are dedicated folks, um, and we love you. And I just 
uh, speaking of Essex Coffee Roasters, just sent a buttload of money to our man Aaron Dahlbeck so that I could get coffee that I'm going to send to y'all as a thank you. Um, uh, you know, this this of course means uh, please check your you know your patreon messages because if if you haven't given me your address i'm gonna need your address but i think most people have so i'm just gonna send that out with some other goodies for y'all just to say like thank you just to say like we love that you support us now i know not everyone cares about stuff there are definitely people who support us who don't aren't interested in getting things um and for some of y'all that means you just like to support the show other people it's you want more content and i think one of the things we can promise is that uh, it, it, it is hard for us to keep on a schedule. It is hard for us to record, but we do have more content coming and we even have new shows coming to the network. So your money is supporting us, giving new opportunities to new people, uh, whether they're new podcasters or experienced podcasters with a new show, we have new stuff coming. So get excited. We love you. Thank you so much. Uh, we also uh, have Chris Reject to thank Josh. Why do yeah, we need to thank Chris, Chris Reject? Reject. Because I fucking love Chris Reject. I know you. That's do. why. And that's, that's, I mean, you know what? Like, LVAC does a, an amazing job of screen printing in the Lehigh Valley for whatever project you have that you need promoted on a t shirt or, uh, you know, any type of like collectible good of this manner. That said, all of that stuff doesn't mean shit to me because the main currency that I have for Chris Reject is that that dude has been a good friend. And that I consider him to be like a righteous dude. So there you go. I love Chris Reject. <laughs> I think we can combine those. Know? I don't know. No, we can combine those two things together and say LVAC is a great place to get stuff screen printed. And part of that is because Chris Reject is great. And when you support LVAC, you're supporting him. You're also supporting independent music through his label. You're supporting him doing shows in the Lehigh Valley. You're supporting and support independent the wrestling. Mahoning. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, he brought this up. And so I wanted to mention on here, uh, our friends over at the Mahoning Drive-In Theater uh, are in a bit of a land issue. Basically, uh, through a complicated lease process, they found out that the actual owner of the land that the theater is located on uh, optioned the property to a other company. Um for a variety of reasons, basically people not knowing what was going on there. And so um, there's a company that wants to tear down the drive-in and put up solar panels, which, you know, n nothing against solar here. But uh, this is not <laughs> like the other properties that were optioned to this company. Uh, this is not an abandoned drive-in theater. This is not a drive-in theater that is no longer among us. This is one of the most active film venues on the fucking East Coast. It's certainly yeah. one of the most successful drive-ins on the East Coast. Uh, you know, also and it's one, one of the, the remaining drive-ins right, on the East Coast. One of the biggest screens in fucking America. And the reality here is uh, one of the few places where you can catch classics on film. Just it's such an on important thirty-five. It's such an important venue. It's such an important community that's been built around it. And and straight up, I bet if the people who really own the land knew that it was alive, they wouldn't have optioned it. But they did option it, which sounds uh, like the like it's the end, like all hope is gone. That is not the case. Um, the township is unsure if that land is zoned for solar panels. It's not that it's not. 
It's just not. You know what I mean? Like they just mm. it's it's a legal gray area. And so they're trying to make up their mind whether they want these folks to move in or not. And I think now is the opportunity. This is not a just here's some bad news. This is a call to action. You need to contact the Mahoning Township. You need to contact the company that has optioned the land and if you live close enough, you can show up to the zoning board meeting on August 3rd. Uh, and if you need more details of how to do that, you can go to the Mahoning Drive-In website. You can look on social media, hashtag Save the Mahoning, um, and find details on how you can support the Mahoning Drive-In because this is not a done deal. They have optioned this land. If they can't get zoned to build the panels then that's it. Then the, there's no more to worry about. But that's what's up in the air is whether the town will allow them. And to me, it's it's a it feels like a done deal because it's like, why would the town give up on one of its most successful businesses? But you know, you know, we don't know. We don't know what's going to happen. And so, in, in order to ensure that this amazing venue continues, they need your support. Absolutely. And you know what? That's the funny thing about these underground. Like, I won't even call it underground. That's the thing about those closer to um, the fan level venues and structures and even bands and shit. Like, you know, a lot of people on these bigger, like more financially minded institutions don't really know what exists on that ground level. So showing up, lending your voice to the chorus, as it said, that's a currency that is really, really important. So if you're, if you're in the area, I would encourage showing up, man. That shit is dope, and we need to keep that. We need to keep that stuff alive. Agreed. So, there uh, you go. I also want to uh, mention yet again. We said them already. Essex Coffee Roasters. Our man Aaron Dahlbeck is the best. He does amazing coffee. Uh, people are starting to get their Cinepunks bled. We're getting good reports that they really like it. Uh, here's a little secret. Now that the Cinepunks blend is out, we're probably going to offer it again in a couple weeks. Just, you know, once people get a chance to try it and find out how good it is. And maybe (laughs) if you got a bag, maybe post on social media about how good it is. Uh, We're going to offer it again. And then we're probably going to offer it again sometimes towards... Uh, when it gets colder out, like winter time. So yeah. uh, anyways, head on over to Essex Coffee Roasters. They have great coffee. They have great tea. Uh, they really try to make everything approachable and understandable. And if you have questions about their coffee or their tea, just hit up Aaron. You know, hit up the site. Let them uh, know that, you, you know, you're new to this and you want to know, you know, maybe how to brew your coffee the best way at home or what coffee works for you, what flavor notes you'd be interested in, all that stuff. So check them out, EssexCoffeeRoasters.com. Yay. Sick. So, Josh, okay. at this yes, point, sir. at this point, we do a thing. We have a we have a thing. It's like a a, a thing that I never get tired of, by yeah. the way. A regular thing that I uh, you know, it's funny. Recently, I had brought it up with my uh my friend, Mr. Mike at work, that um this entire segment was born of me and my brother's sneakerhead discussion about sneakers that we find. Cause you know, I don't, you, you're aware, Liam, I have a, I have a, I have a sneaker thing. It's just what it is. It's part of being Filipino. I think just because of the whole Imelda Marcos thing. And I'm friends with Richie Rojas and like, you know, it's just, this is our thing. We talk about sneakers a lot. And from this wild footwear obsession comes our world renowned, internationally known, locally respected, uh huh. Segment yep. known as what's it known as, Liam? <gasps> Whacking on, on tracks. tracks. 
So, you know, it could apply to the things that we've done or the footwear that you wear. That's the beauty of this multi-applicable segment that Cinepunks has given to you, the listener, for your personal <laughs> use. <laughs> I definitely think about that internationally known and locally respected tag because that shit is so good. But anyway, so Liam, what have you done recently that is whack? Or what have you done recently that is on track? Well, I mean, I'll be honest, Josh, in that I haven't watched a ton that wasn't for this or another podcast. However, there are one or two examples I wanted to bring up. One was I watched a little movie with Susan, by the way. I had to talk her into thinking this was a good idea, but she she went along with it. I watched a little something called Werewolves Within. Have you watched this yet? I have. What did you think of Werewolves Within? I think Sam Richardson is so likable. Yes, yes. <laughs> the, the whole movie is kind of bad. But there is a scene at the end when he throws an axe and it hits a dartboard and sticks to the wall. And it's like in slow motion. It's during the climax of the movie when he's fighting the werewolf and all this other stuff. And he throws the axe and it gets stuck in the dartboard in the wall. And he just goes, well, all right. And that scene made me so happy just because of how pleasant that shit was. Like, well, all right. That's the rest so of the movie I found to be relatively forgettable. I mean, huh. it was fine. Yeah. That's that's interesting. I'm putting it in my on track category. I liked it a lot. Really? Yeah. A I've, lot, you say. I've noticed this. This is, I think, a big sort of separation between people is if the humor works for you or not. Um uh -huh. friend of the show, Dan Scully, reviewed this on Letterboxd and said that he didn't think it was funny and that that makes the movie not fun for him. Um, whereas mm. other folks on Letterboxd, and I'll be honest, they're not friends of mine, so I don't remember what their names are. <laughs> I follow the people I follow, but I, I don't remember. Right, right, but, right, but right, right. the people for whom the humor worked enjoyed the movie a lot more. And for mm. me, this shit is funny. Like, this is funnier. Okay. In my mind, this is funnier than most movies people think are funny. Like, this is, like, beyond that funny. Um, and so, like, that's why it works. As a horror movie... Mm. Shit's not scary. It's never scary. Yeah, it never no, even gets get close that. to scary. I think anyone watching it thinking like, oh, I'm going to get a good dose of funny and scary. Like I would say I would compare this actually to Wolf of Snow Hollow. Did you mm, see that one? See, I didn't see that one. Oh, wait, oh. no, I did. I, it was okay. It was fun. Yeah, I like that. I like that one a lot, too. It was uh, more staid than your typical werewolf movie, I feel, which well, is the same can be said for Werewolves Among Us. I yeah, think I think I think Wolf of Snow Hollow is actually scary though. Like it's actually a horror movie, whereas this is like not a horror movie. The horror is just a, mm. a an excuse for the movie to be funny, and then it's a question mm. of is it funny for you or not? And for me, very funny. I liked it a lot. I would. I mean, I you know, it's not more than three and a half stars, but mm -hmm. you know, I. It was nice seeing the AT and T girl in there. Yeah, yeah, Melania I agree. Weintraub, I thought I agree. she was good. I thought she was real um, good. I think a lot of people also don't like the twist, which, are, you know, the movie's new enough. I don't want to give away the twist. But a, I, a lot of reviews I saw were, like, bummed on the twist, I guess because uh -huh. they saw it coming. And I was like, yeah, I don't know. That doesn't bother me. I don't, I don't care. Know. That was, like, one of the things I liked about it. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I, I thought it was funny, and so I liked it. I, I guess it's... 
it's not a stick with you sort of movie. I will say that. No. I think in that sense, you're probably right that it's like, it's kind of like a temporary thing. You're, you're, I don't know mm-hmm. that a lot of people will be like, this is going in my top 10 of the decade. Like that's unlikely. No. But, but I, think, I don't, again, Sam Richardson's likable, likability so in the movie good. is yeah. what makes it so like pleasant. You know what I mean? Like I want right. to see him in worse things because of this movie. Um, speaking of Sam Richardson, uh, I've been enjoying the show by his partner. Uh, I think you should leave. Uh, yeah, I, I started on season two. Yep. I'm, <laughs> I'm not, a lot. I'm not yet finished season two, but I've been very much enjoying it. Uh, the ghost tour, uh, skit is one of the craziest things. Oh my things. sweet baby Jesus. So, that shit is hilarious. Oh, my, oh God. Oh fuck. It's, it's so like, good. okay, I can get it if people don't like that show. I understand. It's not for everybody for sure. It is. It's got a specific audience in mind. That said, if you're of that demo that like happens to appreciate that kind of humor, buckle in. That shit is fucking amazing. I just think it's next level. I just think it's really, it it does silly and goofy shit, but it's thinking about what it's doing. Like I, I've definitely seen people who don't appreciate the humor being like, it's just a show where he just yell. He just yells. It's just a show about him yelling. And I'm like, no. I don't think you're paying attention. I don't think you're noticing yeah. what's happening in these scenes. I mean, don't be wrong. Like that is a character he's more comfortable with, but it's mm. not when he's doing it. The joke is not him yelling. It's the context of what's happening. And oftentimes the humor at play is kind of complicated. It's kind of nuanced. And I like that. Yeah. I think it's a, I think it's a surprisingly smart show, but I've heard that if I finally start Detroiters, the show that they did together, that I would see a similar kind of humor. So, uh, I'll report back to y'all about my experience watching Detroiters, which I, I haven't watched yet because I don't have access to it. I need to find like where I can watch it for free, basically, is what I that's what it is. Uh, I also I know I'm like super late on this, but me and Sue started the last season of Pose again because I had access to it. Uh, we don't have cable and there was no way to watch it for free before. So uh, we finally are watching it. I, I get some of the criticisms. Basically, what happened with Pose is for their final season, they were only given an order for seven episodes as, as opposed to their usual like 14 or so. So they had to like mm. condense everything. And, you know, it's the final season and they've only got seven episodes to tell to wrap up all the stories. So it feels Jeez. honestly a little rushed. Uh, and I, I don't love that. But I also like these characters enough and I feel like they're being treated with enough respect that I can't help but still be into it. Does that make sense? Like, yeah, I know. It makes I, perfect I, sense. I get that the writing is not great. I mean, the, but also, side note, the writing on the show was never great. It was, you know, the show's interesting because it's telling a new story in a new way. But it also was a, always a bit melodramatic and a bit ridiculous, and that's also part of the appeal. So the fact that this is that, but it's like, at least so far, it has a few more like positive outcomes than I was expecting. I kind of like mm. that. And we'll see where it goes. Uh, as long as it doesn't end up punching me in the gut, I think I'm going to like it a lot, actually. So anyways, uh, I'm, I'm midway through that. That's been on track as well. Um, <coughs> it's really funny. At the casino, I work with a bunch of uh, younger gay black men, and they're all surprised that I know about ballroom but don't watch Pose. <laughs> Bro, it's you like, should. Wait. I, I've been telling you, you it's should funny watch too. Pose, I know, I know. But uh, like my one friend, 
It's just like, so wait a minute. You just know about ballroom and you've never seen an episode of Pose? And I was like, well, my wife loves Pose, but, you know, I'm, I'm more about the competition and the actual physicality of the dancing and everything. And he's like, dog, how are you a straight man? I'm like, I mean, <laughs> you know. <laughs> it's just I mean, what it is. Like, I, I don't I'm gonna. I, 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 if anyone says that to me, I take that as a compliment personally because <laughs> being being a being a cishet man is embarrassing. Like ninety percent of the time, you know. And to be fair, it'd be wor- it'd be worse if we were white. If he, I feel so bad for. I mean, I don't feel bad because they're the people who ruined the earth. But I do feel somewhat bad for cishet white men who aren't monsters because it's like, bro, you just. It's so embarrassing out there. Y'all are so embarrassing. It's uh, anyways. Doing things different. That's all. Oh, Doing things God. different. Anyways, uh, yeah. No, I, I I do recommend Pose, but to you, but with the idea of like you got to be in the mood for the melodrama, and you got to accept that season one, there's this this random white couple there that doesn't need to be there, but they put them there because they just felt like. We need someone for people to relate to. And then after season one, they were like, these people fucking suck. Let's take them out. And then like season two, they just don't exist anymore. They're just not there. The Jamila Jamil of the show, huh? Okay. Oh, fuck. <laughs> uh, yeah, we don't need to get into our thoughts about uh, the, the, the the judges of Legendary, you know. Of which uh, I have no problem with Jamila Jamil, but going on, moving forward. There's a, but there's clearly a reason she's there. And the reason is not her expertise. Like that's, <laughs> I just, I'm just saying. Anyways, um, <laughs> I also want to talk about some music. Uh, there's a new EP from Turnstile, and I think yes. we we on this show have expressed in the past our ambivalence towards Turnstile. In that sometimes we like them, and sometimes we're confused. I think not only do I like this new EP, but they released with the EP. Uh, a series of videos for the EP that almost functions as one long abstract movie, but it's like each section is just a, a music video for the song and you can, you can watch them separately, but you can watch them as a whole. And mm. that's how I first heard the EP was watching it first. Kind of like how this might be crazy for some people. The first time I heard lemonade was not as an album. I watched the movie. Mm. I watched the lemonade right. movie on HBO. And that's why I love the album lemonade is because I think the movie's amazing. And the, the album's pretty good. I don't really like the country song very much, but otherwise it's a pretty good record, but the movie mm. is like fucking next level in my mind. And when people say they don't like it, I'm like, well, you have bad taste. Um, <laughs> this is how I'm feeling about the church. The EP is great. It's really, really good, but the visuals helped me feel good about it. In fact, I would go so far as to say the visuals are a moment, you know? That's Mm. a moment right there. That's a fucking cultural moment, and if you're not paying attention to it, I know we have a number of listeners who are older or maybe they're outside the scene a little bit. They're not really into the hardcore stuff. I would say check out Turnstile. It might not appeal to you, but it'll at least give you a viewpoint into a current moment, which is... If anyone is going to help this culture, I shouldn't say help. If anyone is going to take this culture into the mainstream while still allowing it to have a lot of the feeling and texture of itself, right now that's turnstile. You know, I'd say Mm. in the 80s, that was probably sick of it all. They got pretty much the closest. In the 90s, it's hard to say because a lot of the bands that got close felt like they had to change in order to make that switch, you know? 
And mm-hmm. with Turnstile, I think the more that they are themselves, the more it appeals not just to people who are already familiar with hardcore, but people who are outside of hardcore. And I think they're really going to be a door for a lot of people into that community. And I trust mm-hmm. them with that. I don't feel like more than any other band that's flirting with big time popularity, I'm most inclined to think they're not doing this for money. I don't get to feel like they give a fuck. You know what I mean? Like, I just think mm-hmm. that they yeah. are like, yeah, this is what we want to do. People like it. People won't like it. I don't care. Let's just keep doing it. <laughs> I I love it. I mean, it's They're like I, the sparks of hardcore. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it feels that way. Honestly, like, I don't know, maybe not because sparks are so prolific and turnstiles <laughs> not that prolific. But anyways, I, I, I don't want to confuse our metaphors here. I just think it's it, it's a good EP and I think the videos are great. I think people should check it out. There's also a single from One Step Closer in anticipation of their full length and a video that mm, goes with that. It's so good. That, it's really that good. single is so good. I've and been, uh, I've been banging that thing. And I don't think I mentioned uh, on an episode already, uh, the Akulu full length finally came out, and that shit is fucking sick. I, I, yeah. Akulu, uh, there's a bunch of bands right now doing the crossover thing. Akulu, Mind Force, uh, Enforced, uh, a lot of bands. Honey. Well, yeah. Honey, you know, uh, Red Death broke up, but Red Death used to be doing it real good. And of course, you know, the the harbingers of those were Power Trip and before them Iron Age, you know, like mm. a bunch of bands in this sort of tradition right now. Uh, but I just want to lift up for me a because I think their take on that vibe is the most unique. I think what they're yeah. doing fits with all those bands, but it's different. It's its own beast, and I love their style. I love their aesthetic. I love the the record. I just I can't recommend Akulu enough for for me. I think them and Mind Force are like two of the most exciting bands for me. I, I mean, honestly, a, a Mind Force Akulu one step closer tour would be Liam's like ideal tour of hardcore bands. You know what I mean? Like that mm, is yeah. the three bands that I'm very excited about right now. So, anyways, that's 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 Liam's core core corner for this week uh that's about it for me uh how about you josh what's whacking on track whacking on track um i you know what now that i think about it i don't know if i'm gonna put werewolves among us in our whack pile um okay i I, it's on track but again like we said it's not a movie that's gonna stick with you um if you like pleasant (laughs) front men in movies that's the movie because that sure. dude, Sam Richardson is just so lovely in this movie. He's just I want so him to nice. be in everything. I heard I heard on a on a friend friend show. I'm going to say there are friends now. Linoleum knife. That uh, the <laughs> only good part of about the Tomorrow War is him. That that movie is trash, mm. but he's in it and he's super charming in it. And they were like, give uh, him more roles because he's so great. And I have to agree. He seems awesome. Hundred percent. Hundred percent down with that. Um, as far as music goes, it's been a heavy music week for me just because there's a lot of stuff that came out or yeah. stuff that I just got to that uh, has been really, really kind of twisting my melon, man. Um, number one on my list is Last Year Was Weird, Volume 3 by Takei Maidza, who is, uh, I believe she's Canadian. And uh, man, it's on 4AD, which should give you an idea that this thing is a boundary pushing like record. Have you listened to it, Liam? Is that the one you sent me? I believe so, yes. Yes, 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 yes. It's very good. I love it so much. And it's like, it's fun because it has like, it has the whole like swagger of a Megan and like those other people that are doing the big thing right now. But it also has like this, this endearing heart to it that I feel is different than all the other big, big time stuff. 
And um, but it, it's it's it it slaps. It's got groove. I think it's really really fun, and um, I think it's a great record. So check that shit out. That's good. But mostly, I've been really into this new Morimoto Naoki record. Do you know this person at all? No idea. Morimoto Naoki is a uh, Japanese ambient musician. So um, I was hip to him by friend of the show Robert Newsom on um, a record that was called um, what was that one called? Sui. S-U-I. But this new one is called Kuhaku, K-U-U-H-A-K-U. And it is beautiful, blissful, just almost neoclassical ambient music from Japan. Um, I love this kind of music. I've loved this music ever since Selected Ambient Works Volume 2 by Aphex Twin, ever since I heard that for the first time. And, um, you know, it, it, it takes equal parts from that and from Brian Eno and from like bands like Stars of the Lid. But um, it does its own thing that presents itself in a way that is just separate. And um, right now, for my money, him and Federico Duran from Spain, those are the two major artists that are really, really like giving me what I want. So Federico Duran just put out a record last month called Herbario. That's also really, really good. So high recommend on both of those for me. Um, if that's your thing. Just saying, if you like slow moving music, that's what it is. And um, also, there's a new EP that came out by the Bronx. Huge fan of the Bronx. The band, the record's called Curb Feelers. And let me tell you, the Bronx are coming to town with um, with Rancid and the Dropkick Murphys. And me and friend of the show and bass player for Krosky's uh, Andrew Wilbrock were talking about uh, <laughs> the Irish Goodbye, which is when you sit out when the Dropkick Murphys are playing. <laughs> So I don't know if I'll be watching Dropkick Murphys, but that said, I'm definitely psyched on the Bronx and this new EP is fucking great. And it's, it's what you come to expect from the Bronx, like powerful, like rock and roll from California. It's super good, super fun. And it just, it's, it's not your, it's, it's not just typical. It's, it's super, I love it. I, I, I think they push boundaries at every, every, every corner. And I think that band rules. So big recommend on that. And uh, the Canal Irial record has been getting heavy role play oh, for me. Yeah, I forgot Dude, about that. Liam told so me about good. that band. It is so good. It's so, so good. That I should have mentioned that. Let me, me let me cut in here and mention that as my on track. I got to see them. My first show, Back well, to Shows. How were they live? Bro. So let, let me paint you guys a picture. I It's not just that I haven't been to shows because of the pandemic. I haven't been to shows because of you know, having a kid and being broke and whatever. It's been like years and years now. It's been like probably two and a half years since I've been to a show, honestly. And so my first show <laughs> back. So long. No, it is so long, but that's life, man. I'm, I'm a dad now. Come on. It's hard to do shit. <laughs> so take it. I move here. I'm, you know, whatever, whatever. Friend of the show, uh, Nick uh, Acosta, who runs a new morality zine, is one of my Chicago friends. We've been hanging out. And uh, he was booking a show, which is uh, July 31st. He's got a show for Porcupine and some of the other bands uh, that he works nice. with. And uh, one of the bands that was mentioned to me when I moved here was uh, Canala Real. And I ran that past him and he said, yeah, I asked them, but they can't play because they have a show coming up. And he sent me the show on my birthday. So on my birthday, Canala Reels played outside with Big Laugh from... Uh, Milwaukee, uh, no, Minneapolis, Milwaukee. I think they're from Milwaukee. Anyways, uh, Big Laugh is. Uh, did you listen to that Big Laugh record that I sent you? No, I didn't. I've been just obsessed with the Canal Real. Bro, I would definitely recommend listening to it. It's like, uh, 
uh, I you know I'm bad at, at describing like older hardcore. It's 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 it sounds like an '80s hardcore band, but with some serious breakdown sort of stuff. But like mm. the dudes are punk dudes. Like seeing them, like the singer is like in all black with a dangly earring sort of dudes. But Whoa. the music, it's fast. It's kind of like agnostic fronty, but with breakdown a little bit in there and a little bit of killing time vibes in there. Like it's definitely got a few leads here and there, but the it's mm. it's mostly fast. It's mostly like very fast vibes. But it's funny because like I'm watching it, I'm like, man, I'm surprised these dudes who are very sort of like new punk looking are playing music like this. And then it's like, well... Then again, the dudes who played 80s hardcore were punks. So I don't know why I'm surprised yeah, <laughs> when punks like 80s it. hardcore. It's like weird that I think that's weird. But yeah, I was surprised. And then uh, they were really good live. They had a lot of energy. We, you know, we're watching them outside in a park next to a canal. So it's a little weird. It's a little weird. You know, it's a weird vibe. Mm-hmm. No one's really moshing or anything, but it is what it is. And then Canal Real was like so noisy and weird live, but very good. And of course, Martine mm-hmm. is one of the best front people just in the history of punk so he's still good he's older now you know he's maybe a little less crazy but he's still very like you know uh engrossing so that was my first show Mm -hmm. back two bands that i really like outside sitting in the beautiful sun next to water watching people ride by on their boats totally confused about what was happening and it was cool (laughs) because since it was outside there was actually a lot of people there but it didn't feel crowded you know it's probably like 150, 200 people, but everyone was so spread out and sitting that you felt like no one was like in your space, which is good because I'm still getting used to the idea of like shows. But we'll see. The next show is at the end of the month. It's an, an inside venue and it's a, like a real ass hardcore show. So I might end up feeling very uncomfortable because <laughs> that's Jeez. just a possibility. You know, it's a possibility yeah. that I might not make it through because, I, you know, I haven't had to do it yet. Now, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'm not saying I shouldn't be comfortable like i'm not making a a comment about vaccines here i'm vaccinated i'm probably fine it's just an issue of adjusting to being around expectations of being around people yeah no i I get that and i mean people in that sense i've been to the city i've been in public places where there's people i've been in stores like oh that's been to the movies twice yeah we all know that that's a lot different than a hardcore show where like someone's actual bodily fluids are going to end up on you you know what i mean it's just going to happen but to be fair, that was never sanitary to begin with. So, right, you know, right, right. <laughs> COVID or no, that shit was always gross. So that record is sick. And that's actually their second release. Although I think the first Ugh. record might be an EP, right? It's so good. It's yeah. so, so good. It's like Los Crudos singing for like weird indie rock almost. Yeah. It's just, I love it so much. So that's on track for me. Also on track, I've been getting through season six of RuPaul's All Stars. And um, it's got some of my favorite queens on the show, including uh, Silky Ganache, Silky Nutmeg Ganache, the Dr. Reverend, (laughs) Silky Nutmeg Ganache, one of my favorite queens of all time. Um, I really love um, Pandora Boxes on there, and it's good seeing like an older queen with the rest of the young bucks. Um, I I think that season six is a pretty good one for the All-Stars. I'm really feeling it, and it's a good time. And so that's been on track as well. Uh, Whack, I've been adjusting to an overnight work schedule. And it's difficult for me. That's all I'm saying. I mean, the job I'm is sure, fine. I'm sure. I don't mind. I don't mind the casino. And uh, honestly, I keep on thinking about our last episode where we talked about Robert De Niro wearing the the red jacket with the pink shirt. Like, yo, that's a hard style. And I see it. I see the lane to that life right now. 
and I'm kind of down. Just saying, I'm into it. But um, that said, the overnight mission is a hard style, and it fucks with me. So, like, I haven't been getting, like, really good sleep lately. But, you know, I've been doing my best, and I assume that it's only been three weeks, so who knows? Like, maybe just the more adjusted I can get, the better off we'll all be. So we'll see how that goes. But otherwise, that's been the only whack thing, really. Well, so let's there. let's take a break. We spent a lot of time on our whacking on track, and we've got two amazing movies to discuss. So we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back to talk about Summer of Soul and the Sparks Brothers. Stick with us. Yay. After the break. Topic of discussion today are two beautiful music documentaries. There was a time, man, when like I feel like Cinepunks was neck deep in music documentary. Right. Like, you know, like we did the It's Gonna Blow, we did the New York Hardcore, like we did all these like music documentaries from various geographic locales and municipalities within the United States. It was fine, you know, but I kind of feel and trust, we love music documentaries, you know what I mean? We loved Monterey Pop, we loved Gimme Shelter, we loved like the movies that we've talked about in this genre specific. We've there hasn't really been one that we haven't liked, except for maybe a certain one that we had to present that didn't go as I planned. But, you know, other than that one, the rest of them have been pretty dope. Gotta say, haven't really had any misses. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah. I think that these two movies, like, we've been away from the movie doc game for a little bit. And I think these two movies for this year are 
not only two of my most favorite music documentaries, period. It's two of my favorite movies this year so far. And I oh, love them both so much. So much. Let's, let's, uh, of course, I, we are talking about, yeah, Summer of Soul, yeah, and the Sparks Brothers. I, I feel like we, I really, because I've been thinking about it longer, I really want to start with Summer of Soul. And I think it's worth mm-hmm. delineating that Summer of Soul is a mixed bag in the sense that. It is both a concert film, which you could argue is different than a music documentary, but Mm. also a music documentary. Like I would argue that, for example, the New Breed tape documentary is way Mm. different than Monterey Pop. You know, that Monterey Pop or um, the Woodstock movie that a lot of these movies, even though they do set a context and function as documentaries, they're also concert films, you know? And, and, and so they sort of walk a line a little bit. And what summer of soul does is keep a lot of the concert film elements of these concert film movies, but knowingly quest love is like, you need context. Like just watching Mm -hmm. this footage, is just going to give you a beautiful performance, but you're not going to understand why it matters. And you're not going to understand like, the story of Summer of Soul is two things, and I want people to hear me on this, and I want to hear your take on this. Mm. It is uh, the story of a triumph and a tragedy at once, which you mm. know one could argue is the black experiences in America summed up, a triumph and a tragedy, right? And the question mm. is, which, which element are we discussing at this point? Because obviously, uh, leading into this concert series, there was tragedy. There was oppression and violence. There was rioting. There was the year, you know, before the uh, assassination of Martin Luther King. There's a city on the edge. Tragedy. Then the triumph is this series of concerts that, how did this happen? I mean, the beginning of the movie is just us understanding how fucking impossible it is that these even happened. That thousands of people showed up for six weekends of shows in this fucking park, far beyond it's contemporary Woodstock. This blows Woodstock out of the goddamn water because this is weekend after weekend after weekend of amazing performances in a public park in Harlem. That's unbelievable. It's an unbelievable accomplishment. Then the tragedy follows right on the heels of that because it was filmed for television. No one bought it. And then it was like, it never happened to the outside. It just world. got put in a basement. Yeah. yeah. To the outside world that wasn't there. People just forgot about it. And, of course, you could say, well, then the triumph is the film itself, which is Questlove bringing it out. Sure, sure, sure. But the idea here is, like, on one hand, he wants to document the pain because without the pain, you don't have the truth. On the other hand, he also has to document the triumph and the glory of it because that's also the truth. And walking that fucking line, it turns out, is something that Questlove is a goddamn master at because this movie will make you cry sorrow and joy within a minute. It will make you go both directions on the turn of a note and you just have to ride it out because it is a powerful ride. It's so good. And just to think that this is Questlove's first movie, first right? Movie. Like he's not done he's not done anything before this as far as I understand in terms of this medium. And it is masterfully accomplished. I think it's it's probably a perfect movie. Whoa. That's real though. That's real. This movie might- in terms of just as, in terms of what he had to work with 
and the skill with which he put the context into it and just the way it's edited, it's perfect. There isn't a moment in this movie that right. is wasted, nor is there a moment in this movie that isn't like it's like it's not like a Zack Snyder thing where every moment is a slow motion moment. So there's no such thing as a slow motion moment in those movies. This movie, every punch is not pulled, but everyone lands. Right. Does that make sense? Like every yes. single thing, every performance is fucking amazing. Dude, Sly and the Family Stone. Sly looks like a black superhero in this goddamn movie. Yes, yes. And it's just, ah, it's so good. It's so, so good. I mean, I'm going to, I think we're going to have to go through and highlight a few specific moments and performances, all that stuff. But before we do that, I, you know, the other thing that I really want to say about it that I think is, is worth keeping in mind here is that Questlove could have not done anything, right? Like, let's be really clear. Uh, Often a documentary like this is, it almost feels like a form of cheating because the thing you're documenting is so goddamn amazing in and of itself that you Mm -hmm. as a filmmaker, you don't have to do much. You have to just get the fuck out of the way and let the thing be the thing. And, you know, uh, I'm not saying there's not skill to that because there obviously is skill to it because a lot of people fuck it up. So obviously there's some skill to getting out of the way or else more people would do it. However, Questlove manages to get enough out of the way that the concert footage sings and has its own mm. ability to it. But I, I you know, let me I want to relate a quick anecdote. Uh former guest and friend of the show Dave White saw this movie. He he, he talked about it on Linoleum Knife and when it was over, a couple in front of him said something that he was so amazed that they had said that he didn't really process it till he was outside. He, he assumed he had misheard them. But but when he realized it was what they said, he wanted to like accost them. And that was that movie would have been better without all the radical stuff. What? There you could not have missed the point more because what Quest Love does is help you understand that this moment is not meaningful purely because a bunch of talented musicians had a concert in a park, which is, let's be clear, not that fucking interesting. It's cool. It, <laughs> it would be fun to watch that footage. Me and Josh have yeah. both said we would watch the raw footage of this thing and yeah, just enjoy 100%. it. 100%. That would be amazing. Yeah. But that's not the fucking story. The story is the context, and the context is goddamn radical. When you have an event of this yeah. size where most of the security is done by the Black Panthers, that's radical. When you have Nina Simone yeah. reading the poem reading that she does. Reading the poem. Oh or, or even like there's a moment where, and we'll touch on this more, but there's a moment where one of the people who was at the event, you know, one of the talking heads on this thing talks about how him and his friends were suit and tie guys. If you think about a certain <laughs> moment in, so in black cool. pop, right, the Motown moment is guys in suits singing and coordinated dancing. That's what a lot of black music was for mainstream audiences. There was other black music, but that was the music that was like being digested by white people. And he said him and his friends were those guys, those suit and tie guys. Then they saw Sly and the Family Stone, and they were not suit and tie guys anymore. And that's, I, you know, you hear those songs. If you hear Sly and the Family Stone with 2021 ears, you probably don't hear radical music. Especially a song yeah. like Everyday People. You think of that Which as like... Been a co-opted by yeah. like commercials. It's like a fucking like car been, commercial. Yeah. No, 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 no. Those motherfuckers were radical. That was... Ra- I mean, yeah. they even say... Having movie, a woman on stage playing a trumpet was radical at that time. Holy shit. And holy they, shit. Dude, it's so good. The performance that they have on that video is the thing that stays in my heart. 
It's so good. And just just the end, they just walk off after uh, I want to take you higher. So good. So good. So cool. Unbelievable. Yeah, that shit is mad radical. So I, I, I think we're going to take a walk through, but I, I just want to say that it's important to say it's more than a concert film because some people think it's just a concert film. It's more than that. It's very informative, but it's not overwhelming in its information. It it doesn't eliminate the concert footage. The concert footage is important to it. Um, it's contextual. It's radical. It's a radical movie about radical self-love for black people uh, and about not just black people, about that community of Harlem. So that mm-hmm. means also Latinx folks. It also means immigrants. It also means you know Spanish Harlem and that relationship. And the reality, and I think this is a a radical film for Latinx folks, that if they're listening, what they should hear is that a lot of the culture that they're bringing from the Caribbean, from South America, from all these places, Mm -hmm. is influenced by the African slaves who were there. Like something that I, you know, more... More folks who share with me a Latin heritage need to understand how much of your culture is black. And how much of your the colorism in your country is specifically about being anti-black? It's not just about the you know well it's better if you're less tan or if your hair is more straight, whatever bullshit. It's about being anti-black and of course anti-indigenous as well. That there's a lot of anti-indigenous prejudice in this, these countries as well. But like one of the one of the most important lessons I learned about Puerto Rican food is that most Puerto Rican food that's specific to Puerto Rico is just fucking African food with slightly different spices. <laughs> it is straight up African food. Like that is the reality. Like almost every dish that is indigenous to Puerto Rico has a version in some part of Africa with slightly different spices. That's just the fucking truth. And so the music here is showing us that, 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 the, the the relationship between the music that folks from the Caribbean, from Central and South America, from Mexico, that a lot of that stuff has at least some DNA, if not total DNA, at least a little mm-hmm. bit of DNA from Africa. That's worth keeping in mind. Um, and that's worth thinking about when we're thinking about the relationship between our communities. Because I think the reality, the thing that I want to live into, that I think a lot of people should live into, Latin A folks are always talking about, well, we're more diverse. We're so diverse. We're such a diverse community. I think that mm. means we have to acknowledge Latin A is not a racial group. Latin A is a mm. is a vague cultural signifier for a realm of the world that has white folks, black folks, uh, mm. uh, indigenous folks, and then most folks are a mix of those things. That there's actually very few people in these places that are just one thing. You know, that yeah. yes, there are white Latin A people. Yes, there are black Latin A people. Yes, there are indigenous Latin A people. But there's a lot of people who have a lot of DNA mixed up. And that that's fucking mm. awesome. That part of the movie, dude, there's a lot of parts we're about to cover that made me cry. But thinking about this Puerto Rican <laughs> musician and the way that he influenced a variety of different musics and really hyped yeah. up Puerto Rican culture, I was fucking tearing up. And, and, and yeah. in a sense of pride about what he was doing. So let's start off. I think this movie starts off in the most amazing way by showing us Stevie Wonder and how amazing Stevie Wonder is. Am I wrong or is that not the best? 18 year old Stevie Wonder is so cool. So cool. It opens with him playing drums. Fuck. Fuck. I didn't even know that dude could play drums. What the shit, man. And he looks so cool in his brown suit with a yellow shirt. Dude. So awesome. And, and like it opens with that, but it opens with people seeing the footage that were also attended the concert and stuff. And man, yes, it's the revelation in, in these people's eyes 
as they're seeing something. The one talking head that was like, you know, at the end, he's like that. I'm not crazy that I was there. And this is what I saw. So it hit me so hard when I heard him say that, because it's just like there's so many things, right? Like even in just like our weird little worlds where like, I don't believe I saw that. that. That's not a thing. Right. But then the video doesn't exist. So it's just a memory. And you're like, yeah, I was there. I saw that. But it doesn't sound real. But to have that almost verification that that right. um, to have that just ah, it's so cool to I see mean, it's the so discovery telling. in the eyes. Yeah. It's so telling that he says, I knew I wasn't crazy, but now I know. Like, the, you know, the, yeah. there's some part of anyone who might feel like their memories are not representative of reality. And to see the confirmation that this magical fucking thing was real is, yeah, it's got to be huge. I I, I want to say, like, we've talked about this a little bit. There's a lot of emotions in watching this film. I was amazed that the, one of the first emotional moments for me happened very early on the film in the conversation with the fifth dimension. Right. Uh, So good. When they're watching the footage of themselves and talking about their experiences, I was getting choked up, man. That's, and that's not a band I was attached to going in, but hearing their experience and like, I, you know, I was probably one of those people that the first time I heard the age of Aquarius slash let the sunshine in single, I probably also thought those, those were white guys or, or white people. Mm-hmm. I probably, I probably did think that when I was a kid and I first heard that, mm-hmm. but like listening to it now, the fact that people heard let the sunshine in and the fucking gospel runs that that dude is doing over the top of that song. Yeah, and they so thought, awesome. Oh, these are probably white hippies is insane to me. Like there's well, I mean, so much fair, soul in from, that song. It came from hair. It came from hair. But hair so was like, a mixed cast. Hair was a mixed cast though. P- writing it off as just a white people thing is not fair to hair. It was actually, you know, <laughs> mixed to some extent, at least for the time it was pretty mixed, but you know, you're mm. right. It did come from hair and we do, associate hair with white people like that's not completely unfounded but like i feel bad for them like that they felt like they had to prove their blackness and here they were performing at this event in harlem it's a magical part of the movie and i i got pretty emotional about it just watching them dance and like the dance the clothes that they're wearing wearing oh it's so good orange shirts it's so cool man it's such a great performance but it's just funny how like that whole first segment is all the gospel stuff of that day. Yes, yes. And so, like, um, the Staples singers are on there, and Mavis Staples, like, young Mavis Staples on there, and um, the, what was the name of the choir? Um, oh, I've already forgot it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. the dude's name. But it's, yeah, it's it's so good. It's just all of that stuff Yeah, they they do, uh, what's the thing? Uh, uh, what's the song that they do? Man, I should have um, taken better notes. Yeah. <laughs> They look awesome, though. Is it when, when Jesus ch- when Jesus walked? Uh, yeah. That oh man, how, they're talking how everybody was singing it that summer. That's, yeah, like, dude, that well, that's the thing. Like awesome. we're we're we we don't know how important gospel. I thought that was a really good first step to take because it automatically sets an audience that's unfamiliar with this thing on mm. maybe not on edge, but it, it it helps you realize you don't know everything. Because yeah. as a culture, we no longer hear gospel music on the fucking radio like that. Not not True. like number one singles, and that was no. a number one single. Like that was a big deal. And and to be honest. 
Not surprisingly, that song slaps. That is a good song. It's so good. It's so, so good, good that you forget that that was a song people actually sung in church. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's... Like, that's, that's the concept that they tried to, like, radicalize church music to the point yeah. where they would reach out young audiences. Yeah. Such a great concept. Well, it's and, so and cool. The, and, the, and the pride of it, right? That they were ostracized from their community. We see it as, I'm sure as a culture, we're inclined to see anything that has that smack of evangelicalism, right? That <laughs> That, that it's like not it's not dangerous it's not a risk right but for yeah. them it was a risk they were ostracized from their community because they were willing to perform with secular artists and in secular venues that wasn't okay but they took that risk for something they believed in there's something there I also think there's a, they also talk about this but um uh one of the theories in sort of black church studies right and this uh it probably started with um a guy at Princeton, I think his name is Rambo. I'm trying to remember. Mm. People who are religious scholars will know what I'm talking about. But there's a gentleman who already had this theory that American religiosity in black Christianity is reflective of an African heritage and past. And there's mm. problems with that because it essentializes African culture in a way and maybe diminishes the black Christian experience. But there's also something to be said there about ecstatic performance and the combination of mourning and joy into like one artistic form. I think there's a lot to be said there. And it's really powerful to me that Questlove was able to work what is to some extent an academic way of seeing this stuff into a popular film. It's a high level discussion going on about what's happening in these performances. But I think it also, he ties it later to the black radical tradition and talking about mm. the relationship between that church music and Martin Luther King. And that moment, Josh, where Jesse Jackson is leading the crowd Dude. through what led up to MLK's assassination, that is liturgy at its highest form. That is a public liturgical moment. That is a moment, what is happening at that concert when he does that is more powerful than what happens in most churches any day of the week at any time. Like that is fucking public worship, public theology, and people are participating in it regardless of what their beliefs are. Like I don't think there's anyone out there in that moment who like can't participate in this religious experience of remembering this straight up like a uh, person who was taken from them um, mm. that needs to have a specific doctrinal idea of what's happening. Like that is what's so amazing. And you we miss it now because we've, over the years, Jesse Jackson maybe made decisions that tarnished him in our in our public image. And, and I'm not going to defend or attack that. I wasn't there. But this moment in 1969, he seems like the fucking man. Like that was yeah. an amazing thing. And then we get this narrative of Mavis Staples getting to sing uh, because Mahalia, Mahalia didn't Jackson. feel like she was up for it. Oh, and then we get the dude. two of them singing together. If you're not crying at that moment or at least feeling something emotionally, I don't know what the fuck is going on with you because yeah, that's yeah. not about your faith in a God that may or may not be there. That's about the power and the pain and, and, the, and the resilience and the beauty of a group of folks who have been facing death head fucking on. It's amazing yeah. without having to believe in like Jeep you know what I'm saying? It's so crazy, too, when uh, Mavis Staples' voiceover happens and she talks about how yeah. Mahalia Jackson was like, Sister Haley doesn't feel so good today. Could you take the microphone? That shit is so great. Like, ah, I'm getting choked up thinking about it right yeah. now. It's so cool. It's a and magical. Seeing, and, and the two uh, of them together, their voices together is unbelievable. 
so beautiful, so beautiful. And just the passion and the power with which they sing. It's so beautiful. It's, it's, it's truly one of the gemstones of this movie. It's so just brilliant and, and shiny and gorgeous. The skill, I think, of Questlove in, as a director, crafting that moment to be instructive for people who might be ignorant of it, of how important the black church was, <laughs> right, to mm. the movement for liberation and for civil rights without making any specific theological claims. So, like, that moment right. isn't about, yeah, this is all real because God is real and Jesus is Lord. None of that comes across. But you can't watch that section leading into that moment without knowing how mm. important the community was for people's lives. And that's really... A, a difficult thing to do, I think, and it, and a powerful yeah. moment, and one that like was unbelievable. And like you know, I'm not, I don't listen to like a lot of gospel music, but there were multiple songs mm. where I was fucking stomping my foot and clapping along. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> that music is powerful, you know. And and I think we see the line from that later on. You hear remnants of that church tradition at the end of the movie when Sly and Family Stone is leading this massive crowd in singing uh, uh, high, Take You Higher, yeah. you know? Mm -hmm. Higher, higher! Well, so the fact good. that they end the music and the crowd is still yelling higher. Uh, like, I don't know about you, I was having flashbacks to the best hardcore shows I've ever been to. I'm, I, I was yeah. remembering, remember the fucking vision set at the truck where they yes. cut the power when they and cut people the power on them, kept moshing kept and singing, singing along yeah. and head. That was the first time I ever walked on heads was for that. It so I could sing such along. such a beautiful moment. Yeah, no, you're right. It's exactly this felt the I, same way. This idea, if I, and I got to say this to people, if your cultural experience, whether that's in the context of church or of protest or of music or of art, if you've never lifted your voice in some way with a group of people, you've missed out on one of the magic aspects of being a fucking human. That is an yeah. unbelievable, whether you're singing along to a band you like or chanting along with Sly and the Family Stone or singing in some sort of protest or religious service, whatever it is, your voice with other people is transcendent. It feels so goddamn good. If if you're in the moment. There are also times when you might feel forced into it. I'm not saying this mm. can't turn towards the bad. Everything can turn towards the bad. But when it's right, oh my god, it's fucking magic. That it that hits so beautifully. Oh. Yeah. Oh, oh god. Josh, so what are good. some what are some other moments that either really hit you Dude, hard or made you when emotional? When David Ruffin steps out. When yes. David Ruffin yes. steps out. Like People know how much, like longtime listeners of the show know how much I love the David Ruffin Lost record. That's his solo yes, record. Yes. But man, seeing him come out in that velvet suit, just fucking tall as shit and skinny as like fucking crazy with the huge afro. My God. And he does My Girl. It's like his first show outside of The Temptations. And it's, I mean, you know, it's such a beautiful moment because like they follow the Mahalia Jackson, Mavis Staples scene with that. And it's awesome. It's so, so cool. He just looks so cool. And that shit hit me right in my chest piece. Like, bam. I, I couldn't I couldn't even contain myself. It was one of those moments in the movie of which this movie is chock full of these moments. Chock. That I was like, yo, that shit is crazy. 
I've already so said good. a little bit. Sly and the Family Stone. Everything that they have for of them course. is unbelievable. Yeah, the dude, moment with I have the, to see that performance. I have yeah, to see that. Show I want to see the whole thing. I got to see the whole thing. Yeah, uh, the, dude, the, the, just, and just the multi instrumentalism of him and the, yes. the 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 talking head that's talking at the time when when the Sly segment's happening. They're like, yeah, he's got like a proto Prince thing going on. It's like that shit is so cool, unbelievable, and that he is. Yeah, and that they're talking about, you know, when you think of soul bands, you think of men typically in matching uniforms out there doing the thing. And then there's this woman trumpet player on stage with Sly and the Family Stone crushing it, just wailing. It's so great to see. And it's just like, I'm, it's it's such a cool part of the movie. Yeah, That whole, that couplet right there, David Ruffin and Sly, like that scene, yep. wonderful. Wonderful. The, the section on the Latinx performers and then the transition later Ray to, yeah, dude. to the, and the uh, world stuff. Yeah. And then the transition to the Young Lords party. Like, I, one of the, my favorite aspects of going to the Black Radicalism and Black Panther uh, exhibit at the, uh, at the uh, library in uh, Harlem. What is the name of that library? There's a uh, there's a specifically like Black History Library in New York, and they did a whole thing on Black radicalism, and there was a mm. section on the connection between the Black Panthers and the Young Lords. And in fact, I got a book about the history of the Young Lords, and I I just find that so fascinating that this group, this you know organization that that was basically a gang, transitioned mm. into a political party, uh, and they talked to this woman who's one of the founding sort of charter members of the Young Lords, and that whole section was amazing to me. And and you know, like I said, Ray Barretta, like that that just feeling so much pride at his music and at him connecting and performing there. Um, but then, of course, the moment that I think a lot of people were probably waiting for, and that really comes across like like a climax of the film. Is fucking Nina, Nina Simone. Simone yeah. She's, I mean, if you haven't seen that Nina Simone documentary that was on Netflix, do yourself a favor, go watch it. It'll, it'll really inform a lot of how you see her, which is, I think, for a lot of people, was tarnished by negative stories about her later in life. Mm. But she really was a, a fucking phenomena and really one of the most important performers in the history of American music, in my mind. But her section is mm. so good and powerful and such a reminder of the way that she balanced out love and rage, you know, of mourning and resilience. And like, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. It kind of crushed yeah. me a little bit, honestly. And it's so good. It's just, uh, and yeah. just hear like, you know, hearing Lin-Manuel Miranda talk about like the Eurekan experience and yep. all that stuff in relation to like Nina Simone and like just the, the experience of Spanish Harlem at that time. And it's, it's uh confluence with black America in Harlem at the time. Like that shit is so powerful. And it reminded me of seeing like Eric Badu at the Neorican Cafe in New York in the nineties or seeing, uh, I got to see Gilka Heron at SOBs like when I was still in college, like those experiences and seeing this movie, they definitely galvanized this, this notion of protest music mm -hmm. and of just the, the um, statement of agency and propriety over this like type of, artistic pride i think it's okay so cool you brought so up cool seeing Nina Simone. you brought up gil scott Heron and, and and you know so one of the things i did before we started recording is i asked people on twitter for any questions we've kind of covered adriana's question which is which moments 
affected us the most emotionally. I think we've covered that pretty good. Uh, uh, our friend uh, Kyle asked about uh, making a comparison between the moon moment in the movie with what's going on right now with billionaires fleeing to space, it feels like, while there's so much suffering on Earth. So for you guys who don't know, one of the days of the performance of this festival was when the moon landed. And so, obviously, everyone at the festival wasn't watching uh, the Apollo landing on the moon. They were watching the festival. And so the news yeah. went to ask them. And it's all reminiscent of the Gil Scott Heron song, Whitey's on the Moon. For those Whitey of you yeah. who haven't heard it, it you know, poem. Yeah. yeah, it's a poem where Gil Scott Heron, you know, sort of talks about how there's all this suffering on Earth, but, you know, Whitey's on the moon. At what point he even says his rank got raised because Whitey's on the moon. And uh, <laughs> the, the, the comp, I, it's so funny because I, you know, I'm watching that and I'm thinking about this. And the first thing today, Josh, I open up TikTok and there's a video where someone has taken all the footage of Richard Branson going into space and put Whitey's on the moon over top of it. <laughs> and I got to say to people, like, I can't be the only one who's sitting there going, this song is more relevant because here's the deal, right? You could make the argument that the first moon missions, while they were probably a waste of money, they at least represented a government deciding uh, about what was the public good, right? That that they needed it to pivot towards science and all this stuff. And there were good things that came out of the space program for people. There were some benefits. Now, could you still yeah. argue His it was, name a, was Stanley Kubrick? Yeah. Uh -huh. Stop, Go stop, on. stop, stop. <laughs> could you still argue that it was a waste of money when we have so much suffering? 100%. I think Gil Scott Heron and everyone else in the documentary who's making this argument they're not wrong at all, but there was good things. What is even more galling now is that we have the private sector stepping in, right, and saying that they have to step in because governments suck and can't do things anymore. So we need to rely on the private sector to step in to then what? Go to space? When any one of these motherfuckers could peel off just a small section of their money and help out people who are starving. It's the best yeah. example here is actually, um, and I forget which one it is, one of their exes, you know, all these motherfuckers have exes basically. One of the exes, I don't know if it's Bezos's ex, I don't know if it's Gates's ex, I think it might be Bezos's ex. One of their exes just keeps giving away money in amounts that are embarrassing to all the other billionaires, just fucking tossing it. But the reality is when you have billions of dollars, your billions of dollars makes money. So even though she's given away something like 20, 23 billion dollars, she's now richer than when she started giving away her money. Because Jesus. money makes money, man. It's how it works. And so when someone's like, well, you know, so-and-so has 89 billion, what could they do? You know, what are they supposed to do? Give it away? Yeah. That's literally what <laughs> I think about it. You have 89 billion dollars, right? If you gave away uh, half of that you still have 40-some billion dollars. You know what I mean? Like, it's an unfathomable amount of money, and we just are like, that's chill. And so, like, it's like, I feel like Whitey on the moon now is, like, applicable to the whole fucking planet, right? Like, the ocean's rising and my island's on the water, but Richard Branson's on the moon. You know what I mean? Like, it's... And I'm not trying to de-racialize it. Like, this is very much, at the time, was about the treatment of the black and... Uh, Hispanic and other folks' communities, you know? Um, but it didn't mm. not apply to poor white people. They just were often too racist to know it applied to them. And uh, mm. and I think in a modern world, we can see it on the whole planet. Like, it's literally the response to climate change is, I need to build better rockets so we can get the fuck out of here. There should yeah. be something upsetting about that. 
it's it's a fucking bummer for sure. But sorry know. to rant on that, but that was Kyle's specific question, yeah. and I think I he's right. It. That whole moment, I just thought, "Fuck, we're still doing this." It's just now, it's not even our government; it's fucking individual billionaires being like, "Let's see if we can get off the planet!" Yay! Fuck you. Unbelievable. But yeah, it's it is funny how the specter of Gil Scott is in this movie. Yep. Like it's called or when the revolution could not be televised. Exactly. Which is, you know, that's a Gil Scott reference as well. Like yep. he's his his hand is in this, just like his hand is in this culture. You know what I mean? And like Gil Scott's one of the most amazing performers I've ever seen. Agreed. Live. One of the most amazing things I've ever heard in my in my life, you know. I Let's- still I still rock. Go go Gil back Scott. and listen to our episode where we talked about uh, the movie Black the, Wax. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I also wanted to say like there is a hint of sadness for me watching this film because it does focus so much on the black radical tradition, and I think it's a real reminder that like sometimes white backlash and government repression works. Right, that some of the most mm-hmm. like revolutionary elements of this thing in 1969 were kind of you know on Control. their last. Yeah, on their last breaths yeah. within five years, you know, that they were being yeah. oppressed and murdered and killed off. And it's worth keeping that in mind when we've just had a bunch of movements for black lives. Like, we need to keep an eye on some of those folks because if those things are effective, there will be backlash. And so mm. I'm actually amazed people aren't back out in the streets now because so little has been done and the Democrats are so willing to give more money to police departments instead of less that I think uh, I think it's we're not far off probably from people going back out into the streets. But it's mm. worth keeping in mind that like movements are not in and of themselves the change that they want to be. You know, this yeah. thing was very important. And a lot of the people who around it who were inspired by it were very important. And they did make some big changes. But we all know things didn't necessarily get great. Aspects got better, but the struggle continued. And that should be yeah. very informative to us right now. Last summer was really powerful, but the shit's not over. And if you think, like, we did it, we we, we arrived, everything's cool now, just because there's more... I mean, you could literally say, like, there's more black entertainment, there's more money going to uh, various black businesses. There are here and there places where movements are going being made to like have more mental health people instead of police officers in certain situations. There are things happening, but th- that doesn't mean we should think cool. We're done here. We can all move on. Like there's definitely, and th- that's how, what I left the movie thinking is like, wow, this thing was magical and there was still so much more work to do. And that's what I should be thinking now is like, what more work is there to do? You know? Yeah. Agreed. So it's so hard good. to transition from movie. it's hard to transition from this to, to the Sparks movie, but I think it's worth it because it's another great documentary. I think it it <laughs> I, I wanna say up front, it's an unfair comparison because um Summer of Soul has a million amazing artists in it and is about yeah. a whole community. And it that moment is so transcendent as a moment, it's super powerful. So it's a difficult comparison yeah. to make. On the other hand, Sparks are fucking amazing. And I didn't know anything True. about them before this movie. And I was blown away by this movie. What, what did you think? I knew about Sparks because, you know, uh, a lot of the bands that I listened to talks about Sparks. You know what I mean? Or at least when I was like a bigger Morrissey fan and all that stuff, like he talked about Sparks a lot. Bands like Sonic Youth talk about them. So it was like one of those bands that like once I could like find their records, because at first before Spotify and all that, it was hard to find these records for me. 
I had a hard time finding a record like Kimono My House. I had a hard time finding like, you know, just just the shit, you know, and like listening to that band was definitely like it, it just questioned a lot of like the norms that rock and roll has presented. Right. In, in terms of just like um, agenda and in terms of like aesthetic agenda and in terms of gender role, stuff like this. And seeing this movie also directed by Edgar Wright, which, you know, listeners of the show know we love Edgar right here. Um, I thought the movie was amazing. I thought it was really, really good. It feels it definitely feels weird talking about Summer of Soul going into Sparks because it feels like we're funneling into like a weirder like I almost don't want to talk about it now just because it's like, eh, you know, like it's great. Yeah, it's I, good, guess, I guess we sh- I guess we should have like- started. We, te- we probably should have started with Sparks. I just had so much to say about Summer of Soul that I wanted to jump into that first. But, you know, I, I still think it's worth saying, like what the movie manages to do is tell the story of sparks which has a certain amount of sadness and disappointment in it without ever becoming a sob story like the movie is still very much about how inspiring they are and how creative they are and how they manage to do all these like unique and interesting things in music but it is also about how they never quite broke through and they never quite got the success that maybe they thought they would get and that combo i think is really interesting I think it's also really funny, like that it addresses the fact that Sparks were an American band from England, or at least the brothers were American, and then they they moved to England because they thought that that's where they would be received better, and it, it is true. And the talking head that they have discussing their time in England, like Bernard uh, Bernard Butler from Suede is in there, um, the dude from um, Erasure and New Order, and like. Joy of it, like all these people talking about it that like I've looked up to for my entire life, and them being like, "Well, they were American blokes here in England making music." It's such a crazy part because I definitely thought they were an English band when I first listened to them. I was like, "Oh, clearly these are those British guys like Mark Bolan, like those like weird stoner dudes from England from the seventies." But no, totally not American dudes from California. It's some shit who put out multiple records before they even went to England. Then put yeah. out music in England. Then came back and put out music in. America. I mean, this is a band that has nine lives that they have. Yeah, like different. Pa- I mean, the the movie's two and a half hours, right? And you don't it's really get you don't really yeah. get into their first successful period until like an hour and a half into the movie. It's yeah, crazy. It's true. But there's it's just so much thing. to cover about who they are, and then even the stuff they did later, like the record they did with Franz Ferdinand, right? That shit yeah, was amazing. Like that's that's like how many of these groups that you see these music documentaries on have interesting things to talk about later in their career. Most of them, it's right. just like, and then Most they of just them sort have of fade. Spark away. in the early beginning and yeah. then fade out. Right? Yeah, no, Whereas the, the this shit band is vibrant. Yeah, the idea that the first song they sent the Franz Ferdinand guy was called uh, uh, "Collaborations Don't Work." Fuck! <laughs> so amazing, good. amazing, so um, good. T- covering There's that, a lot of animated sequences yeah, in the movie too yeah. that are really, really funny. Really great, like charming. The visual puns that they're they're using to discuss the music that they film. Edgar Wright films them as like animated sequences. It's so good. The and idea the of them as like boring nerds and that's how they could survive. Like if they had been giant party animals, they wouldn't have had the money for the periods where they were broke. You know, after yeah. being famous, they were broke. 
So good. The the whole sequence with Jane Weedland from the Go Go's was also a pretty amazing. Amazing. Me where they talk, where she talks about how it was like a wish fulfillment for her, and like she had a crush on him when she was like a kid. So then they had a relationship. That part is so weird and so funny that it comes in at a point where you're like, "That's the real thing. Like that happened." And like that's the thing about Sparks. The whole movie, the whole two and a half hour run, is like. Wait a minute, that happened? They predate Kraftwerk in terms of singing about computers? That shit is, it doesn't I mean, sound real them to me. doing a full synthesizer album in 1979 is unbelievable. Yeah. And then them coming back in the 90s with a techno-sounding song and people being like, oh, they're just ripping off the Pet Shop Boys. Fuck you, man. What are we talking about <laughs> I here? love the Pet Shop Boys. Don't get it twisted. I love the Pet Shop Boys. But, dude, that part made me cringe super hard. <laughs> it's like, come on, man. Like, It's dude, literally, it would, be, it would be literally like if uh, Agnostic Front hadn't put out records for a while and they got back together and people were like, oh, you're ripping off the Dropkick Murphys or something. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, yeah, it's like wait a minute, what? what? Like, Hold we on. did this first. But that's like their whole <laughs> career, though, is them changing. I mean, even like the idea that like, oh, they went to England, like, it's worth keeping in mind. This is the only documentary I've ever seen where the backup band is regularly getting fired, and yet in the documentary they're totally chill with it. Like the one yeah, British totally dude that they talk to when they like break up and go back to America to do American music. The British dude was like, "Yeah, I was sad, but it totally made sense. I just, you know, I was okay with it." <laughs> I was like, "What the fuck?" Like it's unbelievable yeah. how often they cycle through like musicians, honestly, into the 2000s, that there's dudes who were their drummer starting in 2008. Yeah, so good, so good, the lady drummer. And the other thing is just like, the whole movie basically is about the integrity of these two creative freaks. Yep. Right, that these two people have this vision that's not a vision, just this idea that they've written like over 500 songs that have been committed to records. And that they just keep on going and that everything that they do at the moment when they do it is their best stuff that they've done. Well, and I think that it's I think there's insane. there's a cultural moment being documented, too, which is a what it's like to make music that is either ahead of the times or behind the times, depending on how you look at it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And yeah. B, um, how much not the whole world, but a lot of the world is not open to funny music. Yeah, that part of the issue is these dudes are not comedians, but sometimes their songs are funny and how uh, definitely the United States, but a lot of the world finds that off putting. It's off putting yeah. that these songs are funny and we don't like it. And that's weird, right? It doesn't make sense that like it doesn't. you can't make good music and have it be funny without people thinking you're a fucking joke, which is not the same thing. Agreed. Agreed. It's such a good movie in turn. I mean, like Weird Al Yankovic is in this movie as a talking head. And he's like, he talks about how like, yeah, they're funny, but they were a real band. So the, good. the variety of talking heads is one of the reasons the movie is amazing. Like not yeah. just everyone that they've worked with to a certain extent that are still alive, all these people, but the sort of folks who were influenced by them, you know, ranging yeah, like Neil Gaiman's in here. 
Neil and Gaiman, like, Patton Oswald, uh, the dude yeah. from the Sex Pistols, especially like when they acknowledge that the Sex Pistols kind of ruined their career. You know, it's like what, <laughs> if if the most popular thing is the Sex Pistols record, then who's going to like our weirdo record? You know, it's like the opposite end. And yet in the movie is the guy from the Sex Pistols being like, oh, I fucking love Sparks, you know, or even like <laughs> one of the people's flea talking about how influential Sparks was on him from an early time. And then at a certain point, it's like, Oh, the sparks sparks couldn't get played on the radio anymore because of the red hot chili peppers, because that's what people wanted. It's like mm. it's unbelievable how often the very people who are taking the shine from them are like influenced by them. You know, they have Duran Duran on there, they have, you know, all these like classic British dance groups. Like there's just so much commentary in the movie from people that are just like yeah, they were amazing. And and who jumped on at different points, right? Like seeing people mm. talk about their first six albums and then say, oh, well, I didn't discover them till their seventh album. You know, like this yeah. was the album that got mm -hmm. me on board. Or people being like, I didn't know about them till Roller Coaster came out, you know? Well, Roller Coaster <laughs> came out, there were eight albums in at that point. Like the, yeah. even the idea that not that long ago, they were like, we're about to release our 22nd album. We should do... A performance of every single album every we've ever album. done. What the fuck? How Dude, can you you're even gonna do remember it? Remember that? And they talked about how they practiced for four months for each of those. Like, what are you talking about, dude? Like, insanity, insanity. But so it's crazy. it's it is a testament to the art, right? Like, a right. lot of people when they talk about popular music, popular film, whatever it is, they use the word art, but it's not always clear that they mean it. That oftentimes it's just mm. an excuse to avoid the more difficult questions about product, you know, it's like, well, I made a product, the product doesn't sell. So if I call it art, then it's okay that my product didn't sell. Right. But with sparks, it's clear that at every moment they were making art, even when they did art that was more designed to be popular, they couldn't help but make fun of it. They couldn't help themselves. Yeah. They had to have so their good. tongue in their fucking cheek. And it's amazing. It's just, I, I left, I don't know that I'm like, this means I'm going to go and listen to all 20, whatever. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a huge Three, undertaking. Over, yeah. 300, over 300 songs. Over 300 it's songs. It's like trying to get into like Guided by Voices or other super prolific bands. Like, where do you get in? Right. Every single avenue leads to a different era that doesn't match with what other people like or what other people know. But, and then when you see a band like this, what are they going to play? Are they going to play the songs that you like? Because those could have been from the seventies. Like, yeah, it's just it's a lot. But it's I think, to, I, I mean, but I bring that up to say, I don't know that I'm going to go find all the music. I'm definitely going to listen to some of it, but I don't know if I'm going to go and try to like deep dive the whole Sparks catalog. But the movie definitely gave me this giant appreciation for them. I mean, yeah. in that way, it's not that dissimilar from the Bee Gees movie in that I didn't quite know about the Bee Gees until I watched the movie. And then I was like, oh, shit, this is a much more interesting story than I thought it was. Only mm. it's three times that because the Bee Gees really only had three lives. Right. Sparks right. has like nine lives. Years. It's unbelievable yeah. how long they've been doing music and that they're still doing it is just unbelievable. It's just this next level. So much so, the movie ends with them talking about how they finally got... So one of the things that's early on is they're into film. And film is part yeah. of their creative process. And they keep getting close to being part of film. And then finally, they get a script 
to Leos Carax, who's like, I'm going to make this movie for you. I'm going to make your script with your music. That movie's coming out. That's a net. That's the new Leos Carax yeah. movie that like people are torn. Like some people love it. Some people hate it. I cannot fucking wait, Josh. I was already excited. Yeah. New Leos Carax. No, we Carax. love Leos Carax. We yeah. love Leos Carax ever since Holy Motors, ever since, it, you know, like, yeah, like, dude, like how long ago? Yeah, like like we got yeah. into like we went back and watched Tokyo. other Leos Carax movies because of Holy Motors. But like you say to me, there's a new Leos Carax movie. Adam Driver is in it, and it's a musical. And it's about the I'm Sparks already musical. I'm already stoked. I'm already stoked on that. But then from this movie, I found out who Star- Sparks was, and I found out that it's their script and their music. I'm like beyond fucking excited. I cannot believe yeah. that this is happening. It's like a part of just history. the fact that they almost got a movie made by Jacques Tati is like what? yeah. The fact that they didn't write music, uh, they didn't produce music for six years because they were working on a live action version of a of a manga directed by uh, Tim Burton. Tim Burton. What? And then he just backed out <laughs> after they worked on it for six years. What the fuck? And that that didn't kill them is amazing. Unbelievable. That, that didn't make them be like, you know, what? fuck it. Because, dude, when they talked to the one young lady that was performing with them at the time and she was saying how, like, it, she she got emotional over the fact that they never flagged, that they never were like, well, we're not going to do work every day. Because even though the, the, the whole project got scrapped, they still, like, took it to the limit every single day for six years. Unbelievable. So cool. So good. It's just such an amazing testament to the art of making music and what that I- could mean. In terms of people, again, this is these are two things that are hard to compare. I think that even if you don't care about the music, Summer of Soul is something you have to watch because it's so important. It's important to mm-hmm. our country. It's important to our culture. It's important to the struggle for justice. Like it is very important. But if you do care about music and you haven't watched this fucking Sparks documentary, even if yeah. you've heard the you've heard Sparks before and they aren't your your cup of tea cup of tea yeah. you need to you need to watch it anyway because it's so insp- it's one of the most inspiring documents of a of a performer that i've ever seen like i i turned it off mm-hmm. thinking i want to i want to be that creative i want to be that committed i want to be that confident even knowing not everyone is going to like it but i know what i yeah. did is good and that's like that's where i want to be and i think that's where any artist wants to be agreed agreed so I don't know what more to say. I mean, we, we you know, we, we, we kind of maybe talked too much about both of these movies because, you know, maybe you're hoping there's there's still stuff to see. We didn't ruin the movies for you. But uh, no. but oh, man, they're they're so good. And I love when we get an episode like this where we're talking about two things that we fucking love mm. that really like yeah. touched us really deeply. Yeah. Agreed, man. Agreed. It's been a good year for these kinds of documentaries, for sure. I mean, like, if you haven't seen the Tina Turner documentary, that's another one that I highly recommend that came out recently. Um, man, there's just, it just feels like there's so much good stuff out right now. Like, this is a moment. Just saying. Just saying. <laughs> so, Liam, is there anything that you'd like to hype up? Is there anything that you want to just put as an end cap for this beautiful episode of these two wonderful movies that we've just talked about. Yeah. I think, um, most people probably saw if you didn't, uh, rough cut has their first licensed release. Uh, we were contacted by specter vision and legion M, uh, who, uh, represent Mandy. And they asked us to do original designs for Mandy. We actually got to have a zoom call with Elijah wood. That was sick. Uh, (laughs) it was very short, but it was still cool. 
and <laughs> Justin Justin worked on these for a while because we wanted to make sure if we're going to go to this higher level that they were going to be really good. And I think he did an amazing mm-hmm. job. He did. I, I 100%. I bought one already. Just I saying. Know, I know. I can't wait uh-huh. to rock right. that cheddar goblin hat. I think that shit's going to be my jam. That fucking Mandy long sleeve is so beautiful. It's, it's so good. And, it's and, so, so, so good. And knowing we're only the second people that they've worked with that actually did a shirt with Mandy on it. Uh, shout out to Toxic Ugh. Coffin, who also did one. But that's it. Everyone else, it's all been Nick Cage. So we're very Which proud. Is fine, but dude, Mandy is, and Justin made it look so beautiful. It's un, it's an unbelievable accomplishment. So we're asking so you, good. even if you can't afford to buy something, tell a friend, repost. This is like, mm. this is a big deal. And and it's our first uh, foray into the, like the legit world. And we want to make sure that it's a big one, that we make a big splash. So, uh, you know, at minimum, please tell somebody about it. Um, uh, also, you have an event. Do you want to announce your event? I think most people know about it, it, like it has been posted, but you want to make an official announcement here? I would like to announce that on Friday, September 24th, Cinepunks in, a, in conjunction with a bunch of other uh, outlets, in conjunction with um, Fourth Media, New York City, we are presenting a movie called Dead Guy, Killing Movie, Killing Music. It's at 9 p.m. Underground Arts in Philadelphia, right before the Dead Guy reunion at the Decibel Beer and Metal Fest that's coming up. Um, yeah, we'll be uh, hosting and we'll be doing a Q&A with the band and director after the screening. And then there's going to be an after party with DJ Arturo Sanchez, who's going to be spinning uh, records. And it's going to be a weird and party time. So please, at the Underground Arts, 18th and Callow Hill, Cinepunks presents Dead Guy, Killing Music, a documentary about dead guys. So I'm pumped on that. I've been working on that. Um, I think it's going to be a really fun time, and I really would like it if a bunch of Cinepunks could come and show up and show some love because it's going to be cool. So, yeah. That's that's sick. Thank you, Josh, for working on that. You know, they reached out to us as a potential host, and I'm not in the area, so Josh took the reins, and he's done a killer job, and we're really hoping that y'all will, even if you can't come, please help us promote it, tell people about it. Um, I think even if you're unfamiliar with Dead Guy, their story is so interesting and unique that it's a movie we're Mm. seeing. Um, and you know, shout out to Decibel. Thanks for, for, thanks for thinking of us as a host for that. Um, I I think that's about it. We do have, I will say our friend Sam Deegan has a new podcast coming out. I don't have exact drop date for that, but we're, we'll definitely have it. I think for the next episode. Um, but also I'm really excited about, I didn't even finish. I didn't even finish Josh. Sorry. I thought you you stepping on me. No, I figured you're going to save until it actually dropped. I just, no, no, I'm not done. Tell us the name. <laughs> You're so rude sometimes. I know. You're such true. a rude. I, I listen to Scott. Go on. No, it's because you live on the East Coast, and I've, I'm adjusting yeah. to the Midwest now, and I know not to step on people. I'll wait for them to finish talking. So as I was saying, our friend Sam Deegan is doing a podcast called Twitch of the Death Nerve that I think will be very interesting for people. And it's dropping very soon, I believe at the end of the month, but I'll have an exact date very soon josh i believe you had something very unimportant and stupid to say funny you should mention liam it's my new show with sharky oh that is called showtime with sharky and josh yeah now listen listeners i know you guys think i got a i got a face for radio i'll agree with to that but that said i don't feel as cool as i do when i'm on film with barbara to the stars and bristol pa paul sharky Doing our review show, of which we only did one episode so far. We reviewed the movie Zola. 
but it's on YouTube and it's filmed with real ass cameras and we look good as shit and it's cool. So I'm really excited that we're doing our next one on Monday for the movie Stillwater that's coming out. Um, it is called Showtime with Sharky and Josh. And it's us doing reviews for movies as we see them in Sharky's 1996 Cadillac with his cameras going and us looking mad cool and talking real smart about movies that are awesome or not so awesome. So, yeah, so I'm really pumped on that. Get on get on board. It's uh, it's on YouTubes, on the Cinepunks YouTubes. And um, we're going to make that a real thing. We're going to keep on going until it's awesome and huge and everyone loves it. So there you go. That's a thing. Pumped up. Cool. All right. That's all, all the right. things. I mean, basically, all the Yay. usual stuff. Go to the website, uh, rate, review, and subscribe. Check out the other podcasts. Um, Do the support things. Our I'm sponsors. also playing a show at the Black Cat Tavern on September 20 or on July 25th with Brian McGee from Plow United and from with a friend of the show, Mr. Joe McCarthy, aka the Rusty Pigeon. And uh, I'll be playing solo for that. But uh, cross key shows are coming up too. I'm going to be announcing those through Cinepunks and everything else as well. So keep your eye peeled. I don't have anything else. I'm not as cool as Josh. Okay. That's everything. We're done here. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening. And uh, as always, rate, review, subscribe, and tell a friend. And we'll be back soon. Interact with us on the internet. Let us know what you want to hear us talk about because we were totally going to talk about them. And we love you. So that's it. Okay. Talk to you soon. See ya. Smoke bomb. Smoke Bye. bomb. Do you like spooky movies? Hair-raising tales. Insightful criticism. Judgmental hot takes. Then you're going to love Horror Business, the horror podcast on the Cinepunks Podcast Network dedicated to all things weird and spooky. My name is Leo Don. And I'm Justin Lore. And every episode, we're going to tear apart your favorite and not-so-favorite horror movies to get to the bottom of what makes these movies great or maybe not great. <laughs> Whether it's The Beyond, Prince of Darkness, or Inseminoid, we dive in on a double feature every episode, and then we talk about it. Some of our insights are great, and sometimes we just complain. So if we have to suffer through it, so do you. Horror Business, available anywhere you find fine podcast products.